1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 1, when you find your place, if you're able to do so, I ask that you stand as we show our respect for the reading of God's holy word. I'm going to read the, this chapter. I don't usually read a whole chapter from my text, but the whole chapter, uh, it, it, the message involves. Not that I'm going to go verse by verse through all of it, so you can relax on that. But as I'm reading this chapter today, uh, beginning in verse 1 in chapter 19, I want you to think about the word stubborn and the word unreasonable. And not that we'll read those words, uh, but I want you to think about, as we look at King Saul, the word stubborn and unreasonable, and you'll see what I'm talking about here, I believe. In verse 1, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art. And I will commune with my father of thee, and what I see, that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, because his works have been to thee word very good. For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine, that's speaking of Goliath, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood? to slay David without a cause. And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swear as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David, and, and uh, Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again. And David went out and fought the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter. And they fled from him. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand. Speaking of David playing the harp to try to soothe the king. Verse 10. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence. And he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life uh, tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. And Saul sent uh, the messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may slay him. When the messengers were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. And Saul said unto Michal, Why hast thou deceived me so, and sent away mine enemy, that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, he said unto me, let me go, lest, uh, let me go, why should I kill thee? Verse 18, 
So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Nioth. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel sending, uh, standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they all prophesied. And it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then went he also to Ramah, and came to a great wall that is in uh, Sichu. And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they be at Nioth in Ramah. And he went thither to Nioth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Nioth in Ramah. And he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore they say, Is Saul also among the prophets? Let's pray. Father, again today, we thank you for your word, and I pray your blessings upon the reading of thy word, and I pray for your leadership and direction for the preaching of thy word. Lord, I pray you'll give me clarity of thought and strength of voice and the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to bring a message today through which you'll minister to hearts and lives. Lord, I, I, I want to preach the message right. I pray you'll be pleased with the preaching. But even more than that, Lord, I pray you'll be pleased with the response of people to thy word and thy spirit today as you work through the preaching. Lord, we realize that we can do nothing good in and of ourselves. We know any good that's done today, you'll be the doer of it. And Lord, for whatever you do today in the lives of people, for your honor and glory, we'll praise you and thank you for that. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and please be seated. In the chapter that we just read, King Saul repeatedly tried to kill David. It's interesting, King Saul, the first king of Israel, King David, the second king of Israel, he wasn't there yet, but that's what he was to be, and this conflict between them. Saul persisted even when his attempts were discouraged and thwarted by his children as well as by the Lord. I want you to notice this. I asked you to look for that word. He very stubbornly insisted that David be killed, even when reason would have told him that this was an unwise course of action. Title of the message today is King Saul's Stubborn Unreasonableness. Okay, it's a big word, but I think I got the prefixes and suffixes in there right to where I can uh, use that as a word today. But he was stubbornly unreasonable. I want you to notice, first of all, in verses one to seven, as we recap this and get a good look at it, in, in uh, verses one to seven, we see Saul's fifth attempt on the life of David. The first four were in chapter 18. We'll not go back to those, but two times he had already tried to slay, uh, already tried to slay David uh, with his javelin. And then two times he sent him into the battle against the Philistines in a situation where David, David would have very likely been killed. And he was trying to use the Philistines to kill David. And each time uh, God was with David. Saul then in verse 1 of, of our chapter we just read, for he, he ordered the killing of King David, excuse me, of David, who was not the king. He ordered the killing of David. It was the first time he let other people know that he wanted 
him to be dead, wanted David to be killed. And Jonathan, in verses 2 through 5, intervened on behalf of David. He told uh, David to go hide until the morning, and he would let him know uh, what the king said. He reasoned with Saul, his father, and uh, he said, uh, Let not the king sin against David, because he has not sinned against you or against thee. He said, uh, He's, he's uh, done good toward his works, have been good to the word. And he's the one who killed Goliath, the, the Philistine. And we were at a standstill. And we were, we were uh, in trouble as a nation. And he went forward and wrought this great salvation or this great victory for the nation of Israel. And you were glad about it at the time. He was glad until the victory parade. When the women came out and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul never got over that. Saul never got over being threatened by the presence of David in his kingdom. But his son said, wilt thou sin against innocent blood? He reasoned with Saul. And for a little while, Saul agreed. And uh, Saul hearkened to Jonathan's defense of David. And he even swear, he said, that he shall not be slain. He said, I'll divert myself from this course of action and, and I'm going to leave him alone, is what he was saying there. But then there was war again against the Philistines. And David led the armies out and David slew a great number of Philistines and put them to flight. The Bible says the evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul again. The evil spirit was a spirit of jealousy. It was a spirit of paranoia. He was threatened by the presence of David. And David played the harp for King Saul, and he had done that oftentimes uh, uh, over a period of time. He was brought in because he's very good at playing the harp, and that soothing music uh, would kind of drive away the evil spirit when it would come upon him. But this time... He resisted the soothing and he endeavored uh, to kill David. And so we find here that uh, he tried to smite David to the wall with his javelin in verse 10. And by the way, that's a very vivid picture. I believe they were in close quarters. I don't think he was heaving a javelin from here to the back of the sanctuary here uh, to try to get him. I think he was close range and he was just trying to get him. And, and, and no doubt... King Saul had used a javelin throughout his adult life. He knew how to throw that thing. And this was the third time that he had tried to kill David by smiting him against the wall. And uh, I submit to you that it wasn't just David's athleticism and quickness. It was God's delivery. God's deliverance of David from the javelin of the king. And then we see this... Uh, Seventh attempt upon David's life uh, by the king. Saul, in verses 11 to 17, and by the way, you can say it's seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth attempt, but they all, but it was the same kind of attempt, so we'll call it the seventh. Saul sent men to watch, uh, excuse me, not, not the seventh, I'll get on, I got ahead of myself. The seventh one was Saul sent men to watch David's uh, house and to kill him in the morning. And Michal, who was Saul's daughter, but also David's wife, uh, told David about it and led him down through a window and David fled away. And, and when the messengers came in the morning to kill David, uh, Michal deceived them. Uh, she put an image, uh, a statue uh, 
uh, put an image in, in a bed, in, in David's bed, and put a pillow there and, and a cloth over it and said, that's David, and he's sick. He can't talk to you today. And, and uh, so when they went back and told the king, the king said, go get him in his bed and bring him here, and I will kill him. And then they found out it wasn't David. It was an idol. It was a deception. And this, these words of King Saul, they just, every time I read them, he said, why would you deceive me concerning my enemy? David wasn't his enemy. In his head, he made David his enemy. But David was not his enemy. And she told Saul that David had threatened her life. And so she had done what he said, which was not true, but she was, that was her words. So we've seen three attempts to kill David. Jonathan talked him out of it, first of all. Secondly, God delivered him from Saul's javelin. And thirdly, Michael deceived the executioners. And Saul still was determined to kill David. And then we see Saul's eighth attempt. I got ahead of myself. That'd be eighth, ninth, and tenth, and eleventh, and so forth there. Uh, he uh, attempted that. David fled and came to Samuel. And I believe that when David fled, when the men were coming to kill him, he went there for counsel and encouragement from the great prophet Samuel. And uh, Samuel uh, said, let's go over to Nioth. And the word Nioth means habitations or dwellings. And uh, from all I can read there, I believe it was one of the schools of the prophets where Samuel was uh, training the younger prophets. And they went over there and Saul found out where David was in verse 19 and and Saul sent messengers. I put that, <laughs> it sent messengers to take David. In other words, they were messengers of death. They were assassins. When they take David, they were going to kill David. That was the uh, deal. And when they arrived, though, they found him. And the Spirit of God came upon them. And they began to prophesy. And uh, they no longer were the king's assassins. Rather, they became the Lord's prophets. <laughs> And this happened with two other groups of men who left as assassins, became prophets when they got there and prophesied unto the Lord. And then Saul himself. Oh, by the way, you ever wondered about what they prophesied? I'm sure they were saying something. That's what prophecy is. It's giving truth. And there's no way for us to know what they said. And so this is just... This is Frank Wood, okay? And if you want to like it, you can like it. If not, that's up to you. But my imagination going here. And so I don't know what they prophesied, but I wonder if they prophesied all hail King David. <laughs> or maybe they prophesied God bless King David. They might even have prophesied death to Saul, life to King David. I guarantee you it was something that was favorable to David and unfavorable to Saul. They prophesied something, and I believe probably all three groups prophesied the same. And then Saul himself went after them, and after David in verses 22 to 24, and the Spirit of God was on Saul, and he prophesied. The Bible says he prophesied before Samuel, in front of Samuel like the others did. And... Uh, I believe he probably prophesied whatever it was, the same things the others prophesied. Because it was the same God giving the prophecies. And they had to do with the same thing. And 
The Bible says he was stripped of his clothes and he lay naked all day and all night. He was humiliated. Not only was he humiliated, I believe his being stripped of his clothes was symbolic of the fact that he was getting ready to be stripped of his kingdom. I believe those things were involved. And so what I want you to see here, and I've tried to go through it quickly, and I actually got ahead of myself a little bit there, but uh, what I want you to see here is Saul's stubborn unreasonableness. Saul made up his mind that he wanted to have David killed and he would not change his mind. And matter of fact, this isn't the last time he went after David. He went after him other times. And on two occasions that we know of, he went after David, but he went to sleep where David was and David could have pinned him to the ground with a javelin because he was sound asleep. And David spared his life because David knew that King Saul was the Lord's anointed. And David said, it's not for me to do that. If he's going to be taken out, God will do it. God set him up. God gave him down. By the way, there's great lessons in that, isn't there? I believe in every realm of life, in the church especially, but I believe your pastor is the Lord's anointed. I know other people in here are anointed by the Lord to do things. And I believe that we as God's children will hasten the demise of bad leadership quicker by submitting to God than we will be by rising up against those that he's put there. I believe that God can deal with his people, amen? And he doesn't need to do it through you. And sometimes you may think somebody's wrong and you might be the one that's wrong. And so you need to be careful about those things. I want you to notice here, he made up his mind and he wouldn't turn from it. David had never done anything wrong to Saul. On the contrary, David was King Saul's most faithful and gifted soldier in all of his army. He was also uh, King uh, Saul's most faithful subject in his kingdom. He played the harp before King Saul to try to sleuth, uh, soothe him even after King Saul had tried to paint him to the wall with a javelin. And he forgave Saul and went back. And so he was faithful, he was loyal, he was a great soldier, and yet Saul wanted David dead. And no one could change his mind. Not Jonathan, not his daughter Michael, who obviously loved David, and uh, not circumstances. I mean, it was more than circumstances, but he could have called it circumstances he couldn't kill David. I mean, he couldn't get him right in front of him, unarmed there before King Saul, and he's got his javelin, and he couldn't take him out. That would have made me think something's going on here, wouldn't it, you? <laughs> I think anybody else in his whole life that he wanted to take out like that, he could have done it. But the circumstance that he couldn't, he ignored that. Not even God could change his mind because the assassins became prophets and Saul himself went there to be an assassin and he became a prophet and I hope you can see that that was God very obviously to anyone even Saul that was God intervening on behalf of David let me tell you this there are things that you can set your mind to that you will never get done if God says you're not going to get it done. And yet sometimes we 
act like King Saul. Saul's attitude was, don't confuse me with the facts. I have my mind made up. That's a dangerous place to be. Many people today are very much like King Saul was. And that's where I want to camp here for a little while before we're done. Many people are very much like King Saul. I say, well, preacher, you came here to tell us that we're stubborn and rebellious? Well, probably. Maybe not right now at this moment. Hopefully not right now at this moment. We, but we all have it in us, don't we? It's called a sin nature. And we need to beware that we're not found guilty of being stubborn and rebellious. Or we're not in a condition of being stubborn and rebellious. Many people are very much like Saul in in that if we're not careful, we become so determined to follow a desired course of action that that we will not listen. Sometimes people won't listen to reason. They won't listen to God's warning. They won't listen to the clear instructions of the Lord from the word of God. Many times people will not listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I've always called that the still small voice of the Spirit of God as we read about in the life of Elijah uh, up there uh, again. And, and we, we find that in the Word of God, the still small voice. You know it's not loud. You can't even hear it with your ears. But it's powerful. And it's as powerful as it needs to be. But God will not make us do anything. But he'll let us know what he wants us to do. Many times in our lives, we've experienced that. I have in my life, and I'm sure you have in your life. And I'd like to be able to stand here and say, anytime I've ever been convicted about something, right then I took care of it. But there's been a few times that I didn't. It took a while. Thank God for his long-suffering, amen? But don't presume upon it. God is long-suffering, but he is not infinitely long-suffering. That's not one of his infinite attributes. He told the people, he said, my spirit shall not always strive with man before he sent the Genesis flood. And so he is not infinitely long-suffering. And so people ignore and neglect God and know they shouldn't. People reject Jesus Christ as Savior after realizing they need to be saved. People continue to live in their sin when they know they're doing sinful things. And many continue to live for self and they continue to neglect God and the things of God and they continue to refuse to serve God. We need to be careful that not be us. I want to submit to you this this morning that it is reasonable to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And it is also reasonable to serve him and obey him once we've been saved. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, I'll say it, you don't need to turn there. You can be turning to Acts 17 if you would and and verse 2. But Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, the Lord through, through the prophet Isaiah said, come now. And let us reason together, saith the Lord. 
Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And God said, let me reason with you about that. And then in Acts chapter 17, I have mine marked so I can get to it quickly. But in verses 2 and 3, and some other places I want to show you here quickly in Acts, Paul repeatedly reasoned with people about their need for Jesus Christ. He reasoned with people about that and even about their need to love him and serve him. But Acts chapter 17 and verse 2, and uh, this uh, was in Thessalonica, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead, and that Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. The word Christ there means anointed one. It's referring to the fact that he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. And he reasoned with them out of Old Testament scriptures to prove to them and show them that that is who Jesus was and is. Look in chapter 18 of Acts now. and verse 4, at Corinth we read here. In the city of Corinth it says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And then in verse 19, he reasoned with the Jews at Ephesus. Look at chapter 18 and verse 19. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered in, that's speaking about his fellow travelers that left him outside, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And then look at Acts chapter 24. That's the last place we'll turn to in, in, as we go through these places in Acts. But Acts chapter 24 He reasoned with Felix, the governor, at Caesarea. In Acts chapter 24, verse 24 and 25, and Paul is a prisoner here and, and says, and after certain days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned, this is Paul, reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. The Bible says that Felix the governor trembled, and I'm telling you, he was not trembling with anger. You know, sometimes you become so angry you can shake, and that's not a good place to be, but uh, it, you can be there. And, and we heard a good devotion this morning on controlling anger and all that, but he was not he was not trembling with anger. He was trembling with conviction. Because as Paul reasoned with him, he was reasoning of the fact that there's judgment coming and you need to get saved. And Felix knew he was right. And yet the, Felix's answer was the same as many people's answer when God deals with them. He said, go thy way at this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. By the way, we never read anywhere where he ever called for Paul again. He probably died lost. I know God's judge of all that, but the best we can figure out, he probably died without Jesus Christ. And then Paul reasoning with Christians in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
He said, your body a living sacrifice. In other words, your whole being living for God. I heard an older preacher many years ago, he said, he read that scripture, he said, I don't know if you realize it, he said, God wants your body. <laughs> and he does. You say all you want to about him having your heart, but if he has your heart, it shows up in what your body does and doesn't do. And by the way, we think about sacrifice and, and uh, you know, what we would do for God. And I know early in my Christian life, it was real popular, there's some Christian films out about what it would be like if there was a, a, a communist takeover in the United States. And, if, and they're still working toward that if you don't, if you don't realize it. But anyway, they, that and, and if you were called on to denounce Christ. And, and it showed in some of these films where men were murdered, uh, murdered who would not renounce Christ and so forth. And I thought about that as a younger Christian. I'd have been in my early 20s at that time. And, and I thought... Well, if I was called upon, would I have the courage? Would I have the grace to do that? And, and I really considered that. And I finally decided, if I'm walking with God, he'll give me the grace to do what I need to do. But then I got to thinking about that, this verse, your body a living sacrifice, as great of a trial as it would be to be martyred for Jesus Christ, perhaps a greater trial is to present your body a living sacrifice over the years and over the decades. Because over the years and over the decades have many opportunities for failure. Is it not true? And not that we're being martyred, but that we're being called upon to go the wrong way. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they make a lot of calls, don't they? And we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And the Bible says that's our reasonable service. Somebody says, how's that reasonable? Well, just think about after all he's done for you. He died on the cross for your sins and he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in your heart to be the comforter and guide that we all so desperately need. And so we see here reason. I want to warn you today and I'm getting close maybe to third rounding, third heading out here, but many people have suffered many things because of their stubborn unreasonableness their rebellion against God you think about King Saul in our text here King Saul lost his kingdom he lost his life and he lost his son's life too in his rebellion against God those things you know every lost sinner every person who's died without Jesus Christ is today suffering eternal torment in a place called hell. Rebellious Christians suffer the chastening of the Lord. Rebellious Christians suffer the absence of God's blessings. We have seven grandsons. My wife bemoans the fact we have no granddaughters. We have seven grandsons. and I'd have liked to have a granddaughter too, but I'll take seven grandsons. And they're pretty well, most of them pretty well grown now. We got uh, one still in, in high school, uh, but, uh, and some that's younger than that as well. But I, I uh, remember the two oldest grandsons, and I wasn't into spanking my grandsons, but when they were left in our care, they still had accountability, if you know what I'm saying. And the two oldest ones, 
on two different occasions, did things that just were totally unacceptable, and Grandpa spanked him. And you know, from then on, as the older boys grew older and these younger boys came along, they said, you don't want Grandpa to spank you. <laughs> he said, they said, it hurts. And I thought, duh. <laughs> you know, as much as they didn't want me to spank them, and as much that was painful for them, of course, the chastening of the Lord can be far, far stronger and harsher than that. In the physical realm, in the emotional realm, in the social realm, in the material realm, the chastening of the Lord is a powerful thing. And any time you're living in known rebellion against what God wants for your life, you're lining yourself up for the chasing hand of the Lord. Amen. And some of the ch times it's very obvious that it's the chasing of the Lord, and other times it's just that he's withholding blessings you could have had. And that's a pretty rough thing too. You know, the, the thing I value the most in this life is the favor of God upon my life. And I'm not standing up here and saying, man, God's favors all over me all the time. But I know that in many ways God has favored me and my wife and our church. And the favor of God is precious and valuable. And the absence of it is not good. And when you rebel against God, you're stepping outside of his favor. So let me reason with you today from the word of God. If you're here today and you've not been saved, you need to be saved. Jesus said, ye must be born again. Born again is another way of talking about being saved, receiving Christ as personal savior. Those are all the same thing. When he said you must be born again, he wasn't saying I'm gonna make you be born again. He was saying if you wanna be a child of God and go to heaven when you die, you must be born again. And when you go to heaven when you die, that means you don't go to hell. And if you wanna not go to hell, you must be born again. You need to receive Jesus Christ as savior. You and me and everybody else except Jesus Christ who's ever lived, we are sinners. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's not just talking about the death of the body. It's talking about what's called the second death, which is eternity in the lake of fire. And that's the wage of our sins. You know, we live in a world full of people trying to earn their way to heaven. And the reality is you earn your way to hell. Wages is earnings, isn't it? The wages of sin is death, and we're all sinners. We trust our way to heaven can't earn your way the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and the way we receive him is in our heart we repent of our sins we acknowledge we're sinners repent of that in our heart toward God and by faith we receive Jesus Christ as our savior we believe that Jesus is the son of God the savior of the world and he died on the cross for our sins Amen. he died he the just one for me and you the unjust ones that he might bring us to God. Jesus said you must be born again. He also said uh, in his word, I am the way, speaking of himself, the truth and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I say that because I want you to get it real clear, there is no other way 
to heaven. We live in a culture of religious plurality today. And there are people trying to treat all religions are equal, just be sincere about one. That's not the truth. Peter nailed it down. He said, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That name is the name of Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can save us. You need to be saved. It is reasonable to be saved. It is unreasonable to leave this life without Jesus Christ because when a person without Jesus Christ dies, death for them is the door to hell. When a Christian dies, death is the door to heaven. That's an easy choice. You need to be sure you're saved. Don't live on a hope so salvation you can know so by receiving Christ. And then once you're saved, you would do well to obey the Lord and serve him. I'll say it this way. It pays to serve the Lord. The Bible teaches us we will reap what we sow. God is not mocked. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sowing is talking about how you live your life what you do and what you don't do. That's the sowing. Every day you're sowing seed for the future and you're sowing seed for eternity too. And if you sow to the flesh, you're not gonna like what you reap. But if you sow to the spirit by receiving Christ and then as a Christian, walking with the Lord and serving him, you'll really enjoy the harvest of that. I found this out. Seems like a lot of Christians go out all week and they sow wild oats all week And they go to church on Sunday and pray for a crop failure. (laughs) But it doesn't work that way. We need to be investing our lives as a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few things here. Some things about which many people are stubborn. Many people are stubborn about salvation. I've talked to people and showed them the scriptures and even spent time with them over the years about people who will say, I know that's what I ought to do. That's what I need to do and they don't do it. And some of them, I think, don't even know why they don't do it. Some of them are real honest about it. They'll say, I don't want to give up this or that in my sinful life. And they know if they get saved, they should do that. They should give up those things. But people are going to be very stubborn about salvation. Sometimes people are stubborn because they don't want to admit they need to be saved. Some people, it's like, and I don't know how to define this. It's just like, It's just kind of awkward. (laughs) It may be awkward walking down the aisle, but it'll not be awkward when you get up knowing you receive Christ as Savior. Amen? You need to be saved. People are stubborn about that. Sometimes people who are saved are stubborn about following the Lord and scriptural believers' baptism after they're saved. You know, it don't matter how how many times you've gotten wet before you got saved and in what circumstance, But once you get saved, you need to follow the Lord in scriptural believer's baptism by immersion under the authority of a biblical church like this. You need to do that. Don't be stubborn about it. And with that, some people are stubborn about church membership. Church membership won't take you to heaven, but since you're going to heaven, you might as well be a member of the church. Serve God in and through what Jesus died for, and that's the church. We ought to do those things. People are stubborn about church attendance. 
So I know Sunday I ought to be in church and I go most Sundays, but I got other days I got other stuff I want to do. And you stubbornly, rebelliously hold on to unfaithfulness to God in the house of God. Are you getting the idea? People are stubborn about surrendering for service. You know, there's always things that need to be done around the church and for the Lord. And sometimes something will come up that needs to be done and sometimes you'll think, you know, I could do that. And I'm telling you, when you think I could do that, a lot of times that's the Spirit of God telling you you need to do that. Don't rebel. Do what God wants you to do. Don't be stubborn and rebellious. You know, concerning stubbornness and rebellion, 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 12, the Bible says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, worshiping false gods. Saul was guilty of stubborn unreasonableness. I want to ask you today, what about you? Are you one who is reasonable and submissive to God? Are you saying, Lord, I just want to be and do what you want me to be. All it requires is you let me know. And he sure has let us know a lot right here in this book. And then he can speak to our hearts about specific ways to serve him. Please don't be unreasonable and stubborn. Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. You know, we need to be understanding. Some people say it's so hard to do right. I mentioned that in Sunday school day. It's hard knocks when you do wrong. And I know it's not always easy to do what God wants us to do, but I'd much rather face the consequences of obedience and the consequences of disobedience. I know that's a kind of a weird title today, but it's something all of us need to face in our lives. Let's not rebel against God. Let's not be stubborn about whatever it is God wants you to do. Would you stand together with your heads bowed and eyes closed? Standing together with heads bowed and eyes closed, Christians praying, no one looking around.